0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Walk in Grace series, which goes through Ephesians 2 through 5. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God has used it in your life. go to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians and chapter number 4. And I hope you've had a good week this week. I would ask if you've had a bad week, but I really... Hope not, and uh, no doubt a crowd of this size there's somebody who has, but i 'm looking forward to uh, to our time in the word this morning and we 're coming back into a series of course it 's a new series for us, but uh, a book that we 've been in recently, of course, the last four weeks. If you were here, we were in the book of Exodus and learning about being a difference maker. And we covered the first two chapters of the book of Exodus. And then uh, before that, though, uh, we were in the book of Ephesians. And this book really just uh, about uh, grace and about the giftedness that God brings into the believer's life. And so we're doing three series through the book of Ephesians this year. The first one was called Rich in Grace. And understanding from the first three chapters of Ephesians that God's grace, God's strength for you in your life never runs out. And I'm so thankful today that the, the uh, uh, grace gauge on the vehicle of life from God, it never says empty. And I, uh, I, my first car was a 1959 Impala. And uh, I still have it. My nephew's working on it right now. But none of the instruments in the car worked. (laughs) Like gas never, gas gauge didn't work. The speedometer didn't work. That was great for getting out of tickets. But it didn't really work. Uh, But then with the the gas gauge, it was always on E. Always. So like I had to figure out, I became really good at math when I got my license because I had to figure out that I could get eight miles to the gallon. How many miles have I gone in the last three weeks? I better fill up. And I only ran out of it, out of gas, uh, like once a year. And, uh, you know, it was just a good, it was a good learning experience. But you know what? I hated when I ran out of gas because it happened at the worst times. You know what I'm talking about? Man, how many of you have run out of gas before at the worst time? You're running late for an appointment. Some of you are nudging your spouse right now. You uh, You know what? I remember one of the times being, I was, I was gonna be late for school and I ran out of gas on the way to school. I was thankful. I may I got to miss school for a little bit that day, but my teachers weren't thankful, nor were my grades thankful for that one. You know what? I'm thankful in life that as you and I go through life, God is always full of grace, full of strength, And you're never going to find yourself at a time when God says, Oh, sorry, it's not a good time for me. I'm all out of grace. He doesn't run out of grace, He's rich in grace. And that's what we learned in those first three chapters that God is rich in His strength that He offers to us. As we come to this next short portion, we're going to be in Exodus 4 5 in the very first part of chapter 6. We're going to be. I, I think it's uh, six weeks that will be in the book of Ephesians. Did I say Esther? Exodus? I'm sorry. I'll say Exodus, Esther, and Ephesians. You just know I'm talking about Ephesians, okay? In the next six weeks, if I say that, it's Ephesians. Unless I say it's not, and then it's Exodus. But anyway, uh, I'm, in this short series we're going to be in, we're going to study out just this idea that we can walk in grace, What does it mean to walk in grace? It means that since God is rich in grace, he offers his grace to us so that we can live this life each and every day by his grace. Here's something interesting about the Christian life that a lot of people miss. Here's something interesting about God that a lot of people miss. A lot of people think that God says to us, to humanity, I want you to be good, and then I will accept you. People think this, culture thinks this, religion teaches this. I want you to be good, and then I will accept you, and I will, then I will help you. But that's not God. God doesn't say, be good, and then I'll accept you. Here's what God says. God says, accept me, and then I will strengthen you. What does that mean? It means that we don't have to live the Christian life on our own. It means that God doesn't say, here's all of my expectations, now do them by yourself. God doesn't do that. God says, if you accept me into your life, I will help you with this life. That's what this next portion is about. It's about living in grace, walking by grace. Very quickly, to help us all be on the same page, if you were with us in our series in Ephesians, we've learned that Paul, who was once a great persecutor of the early church, but then came to Christ, he became a church planter and started a number of churches. One of those places that he started a church in was the town of Ephesus. And so Paul, 10 years after planting a church in Ephesus, he desires to write back to them in Ephesus. What's interesting about the book of Ephesians, though, is that Paul wrote this letter to them from a jail cell. But it is such an encouraging letter. And there's so much in here of Paul writing, I want to be an encouragement to you. And what a great challenge to us that when, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through like discouraging times, no doubt being in prison in that time would be a discouraging time. I mean, it's probably discouraging now too, but then it was a dungeon. It was, not, it was not a good deal. And yet Paul, in his moment of discouragement, desires to be an encouragement to other people. And that's what we find in the entire book. Paul just writing to say, I just want to encourage you. I just want to help you. And he wants to help people understand what they have in Christ and the grace that they receive from Christ. And so today, we're going to jump right into this series in Ephesians chapter number four. And we're going to look this morning at just this first aspect of walking or living in grace. Before we read the passage, you ever been around people who have a strong resemblance to other people? Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's strangers that you'll meet, and you'll be like, man, this guy reminds me so much of a buddy I used to have. Or, man, she is, she's just so like that person. There's times when you'll see a family. You ever seen family members that even though, I mean, they're, maybe they're cousins, and yet they are, my mom would say, a spitting image of the other cousin. So we have that in our family. Micah over here, Micah, raise your hand. This is Micah. Micah is our youngest. He turns 13 in, in what? Two weeks? Thirteen years old. Oh man. <laughs> the other one, I'm not going to name him, but he just got his license. All I'm saying is, stay off the sidewalks. That's all I'm saying. Micah, he's 13, but you know what's been, it's been crazy for our whole family, is my nephew, and many of you have met him, his name is Jordan, Jordan Zeke. Jordan's my nephew, he lives in Spokane, Uh, Jordan is, what is Jordan, 24, 24, 25, Micah has been a spitting image of Jordan every step of the way. Like I'm not exaggerating, I meant to throw pictures up, but we have a picture of Jordan when he was in our wedding, Hannah and I's wedding, uh, 18 years ago. Jordan was just a little six-year-old boy, and we have a picture of him in his tuxedo, you know, looking all sharp. Well, Micah was in my niece's wedding a number of years ago, when he was about six, or maybe even Jordan's wedding I don't know whose wedding it was, but Micah was in a wedding, and we have this picture of Micah looking just like Jordan. Like, people are like, oh my goodness, like, when did Jordan change clothes? (laughs) Like, no, this is Micah. And all, like, every stage, and you could ask my mom, every single stage, it's like, man, Micah, you are a spitting image of Jordan. You know, there's just something about family DNA that causes people not only to look alike, but act alike. You perhaps have been around people, I know with our family, with my sister Dina. Uh, many of you have been around or met Dina and Dawn, and people will say, well, you guys don't even, you don't, you don't look a thing alike until you get us right next to each other. They're like, okay, I see it, but then we all act alike. My sisters are crazier than me, but we're all crazy. And even though we don't spend waking moment, every waking moment together, we still resemble each other. Why? There's just something in the DNA. There's just something in us to cause us to have that strong resemblance. As we start this morning in Ephesians chapter number four, what I want us to understand is that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they become, the Bible says this, they become the child of God. And you know what God does is God begins to work in that believer's life to bring in a strong resemblance. What do you mean, Pastor? When you trust Christ as your Savior, from that moment on, God begins working in your life to make you more and more like him, to make you not a God, but to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, in character and in what you think and in how your faith is and in how you love and how you forgive. Every one of us are supposed to have a strong resemblance to our heavenly father. And today, what we're going to discover is that God doesn't just say, I want you to be like me. God says, I'm going to strengthen you and give you grace. I'm going to help you to be like me. That's what these first few verses in Ephesians chapter number four are. And so take your Bible, if you would, and let's go to Ephesians chapter number four. And and we're just going to actually read one verse, but one second, my iPad is... Wigging out, and now I can't get my message. (laughs) Correct, there we go. Ephesians chapter four, let's stand together. We're just gonna read one verse this morning as we get going. Ephesians chapter four and verse number seven. Ephesians chapter four and verse number seven. Here's what the word of God says. Paul writing to the believers at Ephesus, he says, but unto every one of us is given, what's the word? Grace. Grace. Unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Simply put, this verse means God gives perfect strength and he gives exactly what you need. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure, the amount of the giftedness of Christ. The the grace of God that is in your life is not dependent upon who you are. It is dependent upon who Jesus Christ is, and it will never run out. God gives perfect strength for exactly what we need. And this morning, what we're going to discover is that God strengthens us to become more like him. He strengthens you to resemble Let's pray and ask God to bless this morning and then we'll get right in the word of God with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to your heart? God, would you please speak to my heart today? And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me, I'll listen to you today. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you use it and how you wanna help us today. And God, I pray that as we go through this passage and this message, that it would be your words that speak to us. Father, I pray that you would help every single one of us to hear from you today. God, help those that are here that are hurting to be encouraged, those that have had a great week to just be challenged to keep moving forward for you those perhaps that don't know you as Savior, that they would trust you today. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to see this morning what you want us to see and to hear what you want us to hear. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. So God, he strengthens us to be like him, and he gives us strength to uh, resemble him. And I want us to see from this passage just a few things that God strengthens us to do in order that we would resemble him. Number one, this morning, I see first of all that God strengthens us or gives us the grace to live a godly life, to live a godly life. Notice, if you will, the first six verses of Ephesians chapter number four, where Paul writes this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Go back, if you will, to verse number 1. When Paul writes those words, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, Paul has already referred to him as a prisoner, himself as a prisoner of the Lord, no doubt referring a little bit to the fact that he's in jail right now. Well, why is he in jail? Well, he's in jail because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus. That's why he's in jail. So I'm a prisoner because of the Lord. I'm a prisoner because of my testimony for the Lord. But also I think there could be a, a little bit of, a, of, of um, uh, innuendo that he is saying here to say, you know what, I'm also captivated by the Lord. I'm a prisoner, I'm a servant of God. But then he says this, before I, I therefore, I, you know in scripture, those of you have been in church for any length of time, you see a therefore, you got to go back and see what it's there for. The first three chapters, Paul's been writing all about God's grace and all about what we have in Christ. And here's what Paul says, because of all of this, because of everything that you are in Christ, because of all the grace that you have in Christ, because of all that Jesus is, I beseech you or I beg you to walk worthy, to walk worthy. That word worthy, it means this, it means after a godly sort or to resemble. It means to live a becoming life. So here's what, here's what Paul is writing to them. Because, because of Christ, because he's rich in grace, because Ephesians chapter two, you're saved by grace, because his grace is at work in your life, you can be strengthened by him to walk after a godly sort to walk in a manner that resembles him, to live a becoming life. When it says to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, many people would think, oh, that means I, you know, if I'm an electrician, I've got to be a worthy electrician. That's my vocation. If I'm a construction man, I've got, that's my vocation. That's not what it's talking about. The vocation it's talking about, that word, call, that word vocation, it simply means calling. So walk worthy of the calling that you have in Christ. It's interesting because he kind of repeats himself. Look at verse number one again. I beseech you that you would walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. Oh, Pastor, what is he saying? What's this mean? Hey, if you know Christ as your savior, if you've put your faith and your trust in him, God says to you and I, I give you Grace. To live like it, I give you grace to pursue me. I give you grace to resemble me. I give you grace to walk worthy after a godly sort. And then we might ask the question, okay, well, what does it mean to live a godly life? I mean, what does it mean to uh, to resemble him through a godly life? I'm glad you asked because Paul answers it. He gives us four ways. He says to do it, verse number two, with all lowliness. What is lowliness? It's humility in mind. It's being humble in my mind, the humility, putting on Christ first and then others second and then myself last. And you know what? When you and I live in a humble way that I don't have to be the center of conversation, I don't have to be first, I don't have to be right, I don't have to be the one that people always look to as the greatest, when I just go through life humble, thinking about Christ first, others second, and myself last. Do you know what you and I are doing when we live a humble life? You're being just like Jesus. Think about this verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says that Jesus, he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what Jesus was doing? Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he was putting you first. He was dying for your sin and my sin. He he wasn't dying for his own sin. No, he was the perfect son of God. And yet when he died upon that cross, remember the words he cried out, it is finished. Why? Because he knew that death could no longer, that that sin could no longer hold us bound because in him there would be forgiveness offered to who? To whoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus put you first when he went went on the cross What is that? Man, what a great picture of humility. And you and I, we can live a godly life. What does a godly life look like? I mean, how can I resemble God through a godly life? Well, God gives you strength to just be be humble. Lowliness of mind. The second word is meekness. Meekness, one man said it this way, meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. You think about, Jesus Christ, he defines himself in Matthew chapter number 11 as meek and lowly in heart. You know, that word meekness, it, it really, the, the, my, the word that we probably would use right now it would be to, be to be gentle in heart. Jesus was meek and lowly in heart, and yet there were times when Jesus in authority withstood the money changers. In authority, he withstood the Pharisees. But you know what Jesus still was? He was gentle and lowly in heart. He was meek and lowly. I think you and I, we probably, probably, you don't think about this, but there are times in your life when you have power to retaliate. You have power to get even. You have power to get that jab in to your spouse or to your kids just to humiliate them and make them feel bad. You have that power, but you make the choice. You know, it's not worth it. I'm not gonna say that today. I'm not gonna do that. What are you demonstrating? You're demonstrating this idea of meekness, being gentle in heart, power under control. Now, let's be honest, that's not always easy. Hannah, close your ears. I'm gonna confess to you something. I know, listen, I know this will be really, really hard to believe. I, I know it will. I know it'll be hard to believe. But there are times in my life when I open my mouth and insert my foot. I, I know, it's. I'm, some of you are shocked right now. There are times in my life that I that I don't say the right thing. Like that I'm, I might, not, I'm not a, I'm, I don't cuss at my wife. Just want to throw that out. But there might be times where I'm like, and under my breath, I'll say, I can't believe you would do that. I, I know. Isn't that Shocking. you know what, those times, and, and I make light of it, but in all seriousness, and you, you know it as well as I do, those times when you get that sarcastic comment out, that little quick-witted thought, I'm gonna put them in their place. Those are the times you go, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I, I didn't mean it. Would you forgive me? I'm, I'm sorry. And you know what, God gives you strength to think about it and be gentle in speech before you retaliate. You know what all of us often do? We don't care. (laughs) I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes we care more about us than we do those around us. So there's a progression here. When you're humble in mind, when you have that lowliness, you're gonna desire to be gentle in speech, meekness, meekness. What's the third one? Long-suffering. The word long-suffering here, it means a loving patience. It means to be long-tempered. This is the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. And Paul defines it by saying to be forbearing, forbearing one another in love. Being long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. A long-suffering follower of Jesus Christ is a picture of Jesus. Why? Because they're slow to respond in situations because of love. I I don't want to retaliate. I don't want to get bitter. I don't want to get even. Why? Because I love God and I love people. So I am long-suffering. I am patient through trials. I am forbearing in love. They're not easily provoked to anger through the circumstances of life or through people around them. Why? Because Jesus was long-suffering with me and I can be long-suffering with others. And then Paul says, endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of, the the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is resembling the unity and the peace of Christ. Christ. There is instruction here to the believers and to the church to live in unity, just like there is unity with God. Verse 4 through verse number 6, where we don't have the time in this series to really dig into these But Paul kind of goes through all of these thoughts that there is uh, one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, there is one Lord and there is one faith and there is one baptism and there is one God of Father and Father of all who is above all and who is in you all and through all. And so what's Paul saying? Hey, there is great unity in God and you and I, we can have this characteristic that we endeavor to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. How do you keep unity? Be a peacemaker. But I'll say this, I'll say this thought this morning. This, I'll say this thought this morning. Unity is not uniformity. I'm gonna say it again. Unity is not uniformity. What does that mean? Uniformity says we all have to look alike, talk alike, act alike, and be 100% alike. You have to uniform. You have to match. That's not unity. It's not. I'm so thankful today, and I I genuinely mean this. I'm so thankful for the diversity of Moses Lake Baptist Church. I, I absolutely love it. In this room this morning, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but in this room this morning, we have people who are financially settled and others who are not. Some of you are like, if I'm the one that's not, I'm seeking out the one that is. <laughs> we have people who, who have been married one time and stayed married for decades and others that their, their life hit some rough patches and they, they didn't. We have people here who have spent time in prison and others who have worked for the prisons. We have people here who are construction and some who own their own business. We have people here who work as electricians and we have those who work on a line at a factory. And we have people here who are of, of uh, different nationalities and different ethnicities. And listen, uniformity is not unity. Just looking alike and acting alike and being alike, that is not what God is interested in. God is, hey, God is not interested in some cookie-cutter religion. He's not. He's not. God made you with personality. If God was interested in cookie cutter religion, he would have made us all exactly alike to fit inside the box. I don't know if you know me very well. I don't fit inside the box. If I do, I like break the box open. Surprise I'm here and I'm coming. Let's go, you know. Man, I don't I don't uniformity it, it doesn't work. But unity does. How does unity work? Being a peacemaker. Paul later wrote in in Colossians, I believe, and then Paul also wrote it it in Thessalonians and, and in Timothy, the same thought, to pursue peace. Pursue peace. What's a peacemaker do? They quit arguing. What's a peacemaker do? They sit back. And stop having to be right. What's a peacemaker do? They try to find level ground with people to say, hey, let's meet here. Let's quit arguing and being divisive. They're endeavoring to keep this, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know what? When we're doing that, we're just like Jesus. Because he is the prince of peace. Peace. Man, I love this thought this morning, the fact that God desires that you and I would resemble him. And, and we, he does this by strengthening us to live a godly life. And I would ask you this morning, do you resemble him through a godly life, through humility, through meekness, through patience, through endeavoring to keep the unity with peace? I see today, first off, that he strengthens us to live a godly life. Secondly, this morning, and very quickly, God strengthens us to live an edifying life. Hey, you wanna know a great way that you can resemble God? Encourage others in God to be edifying, to build up. Notice, if you will, verse seven, down through verse number 12, here's what Paul writes. He says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith." When he ascended up on high, he, Jesus, led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up from far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I'll be honest. At just a casual reading over that, you would be very confused. I would be very confused because of like the ascended and descended and all of the wording that's kind of in there. Uh, this morning, just for sake of time, it's not confusing because of this thought. Here's what Paul is getting at. Okay, verse number seven, the grace that's given to us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse eight, nine, and 10 are basically why Jesus qualifies to give grace. It's because he that was on high descended to the earth, he died leading captivity captive. What does that mean? Setting sinners free. He set us free by dying. And then he ascended back up. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ was the perfect son of God, came to earth. He died for our sins to set us free. And now he sits on the right hand of the throne of God. He is all powerful. Wherefore he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers, he's listing out some of the giftedness of the church. Okay, now again, you gotta follow fast today because we can't be on this passage really, really long or else we're gonna be here till like two. We can't do that today. If you were here in our First Corinthians series, First Corinthians chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth about spiritual gifts. Remember that, those of you that were here? Spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. Okay, everybody here, you are born with natural abilities. Some, some of you, when you were born, you were born into this world and you were very talented and, and you have a music for, a music for ear, an ear for music. You're like, you're like Brian up here, that Brian can play these instruments and, and Noah, Noah can pick up a stringed instrument and just start playing it. It makes me sick. <laughs> it's just kind of a natural talent some are just naturally gift naturally talent or naturally uh, enabled to play sports you know those people you know like the kid that went to school and every sport they did they were just good at you ever played this before nope never once how do you get so good at it I mean, it's just natural ability okay that's one thing when we're born into this world we're given natural ability but when we receive christ we are given spiritual gifts there's a bunch of lists of spiritual gifts all throughout scripture. And Paul, he just kind of highlights a few right here, helping us remember if you were here in this series and if you weren't, it's okay. Will you be on the same path, same, same uh, wavelength? Hopefully I know it's hard to get on with my brain. <sighs> I'm sorry. You know what? On this thinking, here's what Paul is helping us understand. Everybody that knows Christ has been given a gift for the purpose of building up others. That's what verse 11 and 12 are talking about. Or verse 11 when he says, uh, for the work of the ministry, verse 12, I think, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Hey, when God brought you into the family of God, he made something very specific about you that would bring value to other people. It's called being edifying, building. And what Paul is talking about in this passage is understanding that when you receive Christ, you were given the ability to encourage and to help others. This really whole thought of these verses is this fact Jesus Christ is victorious and in his victory, he equips the believer to serve, encourage, and ultimately edify one another. And what a spiritual gift is, is it's a God-given ability to be used to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. You see, we should all be using the giftedness in our life to encourage other people. You might say, well, what's my gift? Well, I mean, how do I know what my giftedness is? That's for another message to, for the whole topic, but one of the best ways to discover your gift is just to be around God's people. Because pretty soon someone's gonna go, man, you're such an encouragement. Pretty soon someone's gonna go, you know, every time you talk, I learn something from you. Pretty soon someone might go, man, it seems like every time there's something to do, you just jump right in. You're like, you're just a servant. And pretty soon as you and I are around the people of God, God uses our gift to encourage others and in turn helps us confirm and show what our gift is. But what is Paul getting at in this passage? He's just simply saying this thought that when God places special things in your life and abilities and gifts, use them to build up others. Later, Paul would write to to the Corinthians, let all things be done unto edifying. And the truth is this, that God has gifted you and strengthened you to be a builder of those around you. You know what? We're all given grace or strength to help others around us. When we're doing this, when we are using our life to build into others' lives, do you know what we're doing? We're resembling Christ. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus, Mark chapter 10. For even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give him his life a ransom for many. You know what that means? Jesus Christ, he came to serve. He came to offer into your life and into my life. We've all been around those people that they're just takers. Here, I'm gonna help you know who they are. If you get a phone call and you look at it, And you think, if I answer this, I'm going to be on the phone for like an hour. (laughs) I mean, I love this person, but I don't really have an hour right now. And you don't hit the ignore button. You just let it go to voicemail. You know who those people are. Sorry, Mom, I didn't ignore your call. I promise. I promise. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You know what? In your life and my life, we have those times. I'm, I'm, some of you, now, if I don't answer the phone, you're gonna be like, am I that person, the pastor? <laughs> no. <clears throat> Here's just the thought. We've all been around the people that drain us, and we've been the person that's drained others. Here's Paul's encouragement. Hey, Don't be the person that's draining everybody. Use your life and your giftedness to edify, to build up. Speaking words of encouragement. Man, uh, little acts of love, investing in people's lives. And there's so much that we can learn about this, but just understand God desires that you and I would use our life to invest in others. What are we doing? We're resembling Christ. Notice this morning, God strengthens us to live a godly life. He strengthens us to live an edifying life. And lastly today, God strengthens us to live a maturing or a growing life. Notice verse 13. Paul says, until we all come in the unity of the faith, And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplyeth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here's what Paul is saying in these verses, Uh, one of the thoughts that he's trying to get across. When you see in verse number 13, when he says, till we all come in the unity of faith, Paul is simply helping us understand that God is going to give grace into every one of our lives. He is going to give strength into every one of our lives to be like him, to encourage others in him. And he's going to strengthen us to do that until our faith is complete. Until we're all together in heaven, then he proceeds to help us understand that until that point, God desires that you and I would mature, that we would grow. Do you see it in verse number 15? Notice verse 15 when he says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." What Paul is helping us understand is the fact that every single Christian, until the day you die, God desires to help you grow in him. And the church, verse 16, the church, the whole body, when it talks about the body, it's talking about the church, the believers uh, that are in Christ. The the body, you as the church, you are going, the church is going to grow. But what he's trying to help us understand very, in a a small way, is that the church doesn't effectively grow unless the individual is growing. You see, the church as a whole grows in maturity as the individual grows in maturity. And, as we, and, and we grow by putting his word into our life and, and by ministering and edifying other people and by desiring his humility and his lowliness in mind and that long-suffering and that patience and that forbearing and love and endeavoring to keep the unity with, with peace. These are the ways that we grow. What are we doing? We are just becoming more and more and more like him. What does this do? Well, verse 14, it helps us not be tossed to and fro. With every wind of doctrine, by the cunningness, the slate of men, the, the cunningness, the, uh, the, 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 that word slate, it means fraud. <clears throat> um, I've used the illustration before, but whenever they're training someone in finances, maybe working in the banking industry, With bankers, and then years ago with people who were cutting diamonds and things of that nature, you know what they trained them with? They always trained bankers, or did years ago, and diamond cutters with the real thing all the time. Never brought in counterfeit money for them to see. They just gave them the real thing. Someone would say, "Well, well, then how would they know counterfeit Well, if you know the real thing, really, 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 really good, when counterfeit comes across your desk, you're gonna be like, (laughs) it's sitting real. Well, yeah, it is, it has the little mark. No, 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 I know the real thing. This is counterfeit. You know what some believers need to do in order to grow in him? Get to know the real thing. All right, I'm doing it. You know, a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians search out all the worldly philosophies and religions in the name of, well, I just want to understand them. You have the real thing. Search this out, and you'll know truth. Does that mean if somebody approaches you and says, hey, I want you to read this and study out what I believe... Okay, look into it. Great. But if you're in this first, you're going to look into that and go, well, that doesn't match this. It's not, well, that doesn't match what the pastor says. No, no, no. It's not about what I say. We take everything that we believe and we filter it through the word of God. What does God say? What does he think about this? Why? Because this is his. It's not religion, it's it's relationship, it's not uniformity, it's me receiving him and him enabling me to become like him. And what Paul is helping us with as he uh, comes to these verses is understanding every single one of us have the opportunity to mature and to grow in him. And the fact of the matter is, is the church is only as strong as the individual believer. God wants to strengthen you and I to mature in him. But we need to realize that maturing in him, it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional. You have to want it. You have to seek him. You have to get in his word and seek him through prayer. And as you grow, it encourages others to grow. And when we grow in him, did you know we're resembling him? Luke chapter 2, you know what Jesus did for a number of years and it says that he did? That he grew in maturity and strength and in knowledge. And Jesus in his humanity showed us what it means to grow. And Jesus spiritually desires that you and I would grow and when we do, it really encourages other people. Here's what Paul wrote about growth. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, to the church of Thessalonica as it is meet because your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth. You know, Paul said to them, he said, man, I'm watching you guys grow and I am so thankful for it. It is encouraging me. Your growth and my growth, it helps others around us. And so here's what I want to do: is just kind of let's build on it backwards, and we'll be done. As you seek the Lord and as you grow in Him, God will use your life to edify other people. And as you and I edify other people, people begin to say, "Man, you're an awful lot like your God, because you're you're humble. You edify others. You don't grow. You don't push up yourself." You're you're patient. Man, you forgive people. You're not always vindictive. You you seek peace. Man, everybody else, they just want to fight, and you're not doing that. But it's all born out of this desire to say, God, I just want to grow in you. I just want to mature in you. And so I ask you this morning if you know Christ as your Savior, is your life a strong resemblance of your Heavenly Father? Can people see the resemblance? Can they look at you and say, man, they're like Jesus because they're humble, they're they're, mean, they're gentle, they're unifying, they're encouraging, and they're like Jesus because they're just going deeper in him. Are you resembling your heavenly father? If you know Christ as your savior today, I hope that you'd make the decision that this week you want to resemble him. Hey, Don't make the decision, you know, all right, all right, God, I've done it before, but from here on out, God, every, every day for the rest of my life, if you give me 70 more years, God, I'm going to read. How about we just say, God, you told me you'd give me strength. Would you help me resemble you today? And then wake up tomorrow. God, tell me, give me grace and strength. Would you help me resemble you today? Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.